You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. We are going to continue our series of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 4, 1 through 13. But before we get in there, I wanted to take a quick poll in the room, and I want us to be honest about this. All right, so how many of you have set a New Year's resolution this, um, this past New Year's. Whether you wrote it down or in your head, you said, I'm going to do this or I'm going to stop doing this. How many of you set a goal like that? All right, there's a couple in here. All right, so we're about midway through February at this point. Now, how many of you can honestly say, I have already failed that New Year's resolution? All right, you're not alone. I'm right there with you. All right, I love setting New Year's resolutions. I'm someone that like sets 12 goals. So I honestly, I know I'm not going to succeed in all of them. I'm hoping I succeed in one though. But I will say one of the goals that I set was to drink less soda. Not even cut out soda completely. Like I was just hoping maybe I can get down to like one soda a week. All right, because I know it's not very good for you. I know that I should be drinking more water, but... Uh, the whole way when me and my wife go to a restaurant, like the entire way, I'm like, man, I probably should be getting a water. I know I shouldn't be getting something. And then when I sit down, I'm like, okay, I need to tell the waiter I need water. And then the waiter comes over. He's like, what would you like to drink? Dr. Pepper, please. And I'm just like, "Ah." well, it's just just so tempting. I don't know what it is. I love Dr. Pepper so much. And I I just, I can't stop drinking it. And I know I need to because I know how bad it is for you. Uh, But I feel like that's one of the main issues when it comes to keeping a New Year's resolution. It's your self-discipline. And self-discipline is the ability to control one's feelings or to overcome one's weakness. So that's normally how you uh, uh, succeed in your New Year's resolution. You either consistently discipline yourself to start doing something you wanted to do, or you consistently discipline yourself to not do something that you used to do. And so I wanted to um, tell you guys about this guy that has this insane self-discipline. How many of you guys know who David Goggins is? Does anyone recognize the name in here? Okay, a couple people recognize that name. Let me just tell you a little bit about this guy, all right? So David Goggins is a retired Navy SEAL and is the only member of the United States Armed Forces to complete SEAL training, Army Ranger School, and Air Force Tactical Air Control Training. Goggin has also completed more than 70 ultra-distant races. Not seven, not 17, 70 ultra-distant races, which I looked it up because I'm like, really, how far is an ultra-distance race? It is a marathon up to 200 miles. And what it says, yeah, (laughs) what? (laughs) Uh, So he has done 70 of these and often places in the top five. And he is a former Guinness World Record holder for completing 4,300 pull-ups in 17 hours. If I completed 100 pull-ups within a day, I'd be ecstatic. So I don't even get how someone has done 4,000 pull-ups in a single day, let alone 17 hours. But his self-discipline is so insane. And people, he's been coming more popularly because he's been showing up in uh, more podcasts, and people have been interviewing about his just insane things that he would do. And 
I remember I was watching one of these podcasts, and the guy was just saying, like, hey, can you just take us through, like, a day of David Goggins? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I, I wake up pretty early, and I go out for a run, and then I work out. And then he was like, okay, hold up. Let's stop there. How early do you wake up? He said, not early, like around 5, 5.30. The guy was like, that's pretty early for me. But, okay, you said you go for a run. How, how much do you run? He said, oh, 12 miles. That is the bare minimum that I run. I was like, that's the minimum? you got to be kidding. If I could run a mile right now, again, I'd be happy. But he continues and says, so after that run, then I go and do a workout, and then he meditates, and then he stretches, and then he begins his day. And that's like just his morning routine. And to me, I'm like, that's a superhuman right there. There's no way someone could get to that point. And in the podcast, they were, they were talking about this of just like, he's just this superhuman person that does these incredible things. And in the podcast, they talked about how he ran uh, 100 miles um, and like, I think something happened to his leg and all he did was like, he just put a bunch of tape around his leg so he could finish the last 30 miles of the race when he was in excruciating pain. But he was like, nope, I started it. I'm going to finish it. And it, it's just insane. And so the podcast person ask, how does someone become like David Goggins? How does someone wake up and be like, man, I just want to run 12 miles a day? And I love what David Goggins says. He, he wasn't this super boastful person. He just said, man, I'll tell you the truth. I hate running. It is one of my least favorite things to do any time throughout the day. There are days that I stare at my running shoes for 30 minutes saying, I don't want to do this. It's cold, it's raining, it's snowing. He says any time of the day, whether it's raining or uh, snowing, he's still going to run. But he says, I, I hate doing it. But the thing is, if, if I don't discipline myself to do it now, whenever something else comes up that's hard, I've already made an excuse through the day, so I know I will make another excuse for this next thing. So unless I do this running, I'm not going to get better throughout the day. I'm going to get worse. So he says, I'd put my least favorite thing at the very beginning of the day, and I discipline myself to do it every single day in order to get better in life. I thought, that's awesome. After hearing that, I just realized this is a normal guy with an insane amount of self-discipline, an insane amount of self-discipline that has taken him this far, that he has slowly built up to this point over a really long period of time. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking we need that level of self-discipline in our own lives. And I'm not saying self-discipline to go out and be running 12 miles, although that could be very healthy for us. But what I'm talking about is we need to have self-discipline to make sure we're starting spiritual habits, to be forcing ourselves into spiritual disciplines. And that's, what's, that's what we are going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about three spiritual disciplines that uh, we can be starting in our lives that come from these verses. And uh, there are a lot of spiritual disciplines that you can pull out, but again, we're going to just talk about three, which the first two come in the first two verses. So again, in uh, verses 1 and 2, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We have some people in the back that would love to give you a Bible so you can follow along. But Luke 4, 1 through 2, says... And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. 
and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So the first of the two spiritual disciplines we're talking about from this verse is we are talking about fasting, okay? So I took a class in college where it was only about spiritual disciplines. We had this book called uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Um, if you want that book, just let me know. I think I have it in my office. I'll double-check the title of it. But we were told to pick two spiritual disciplines and practice it all throughout the semester. Then we had to write a paper on that. And what we found out at the very end was fasting was one of the least picked spiritual disciplines that anyone chose. Why? Because it probably brings the most discomfort at that time. All right, so how many of you in here, again, let's be honest and take a poll, how many of you get a little hangry in here? All right? How many people say my spouse should have raised their hand at that time? Right? All right, I'm not calling you out, Kelby. I love you. So... Um, I always joke with her about saying I just need to carry a Snickers bar around because you're not you when you're hungry, right? That's the Snickers slogan. We get upset when we are hungry. Again, an, a reason why a lot of people don't choose fasting. They know they're going to be irritable. They know it's going to be painful. But uh, we talked about fasting a little bit in, during uh, the Thanksgiving time where we gave up screens for a day. Uh, but every time when I grew up and when I read in the Bible, it always talked about food. So that's always what I thought it was. But when I looked up the definition of fasting in this book, it said fasting is intentionally taking something out of your life to focus more on God. So uh, when, when, um, when, you're when you're fasting, you're supposed to be focusing on God. When those hunger pains come, you're supposed to be going towards God, whether it's through prayer, whether, whether it's through worship, whether it's just uh, asking God, God, show me something during this time. Allow me to focus on you in any way that I can. That is generally how most people practice fasting. And I remember in college, after learning more about fasting, I, I felt God was calling me to uh, do a fast for a day. And I know there's people that have fasted for uh, a week or more, and I was like, I don't think I can do that. Let me start a little bit smaller here, and let me just go one day without eating and fasting. And sure enough, I remember breakfast time came around, and I was already hungry. I was already feeling those breakfast pains or hunger pains because breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. I would eat breakfast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner any time of the week. I love it so much. And so I was already getting hungry, and I just told myself, anytime you get hungry, just pray. Don't, don't ask God to take away this hunger pain, but just allow this hunger to remind you to be getting closer to God throughout the day. And sure enough, it, it got, um, I, I was still hungry all throughout the day, so I was consistently praying. And I remember someone told me, they were like, yeah, the, the hunger pain eventually goes away, and it never did. All right, I looked it up later on. Apparently, if you fast for like three days, then the hunger pain starts going away. And I was like, I can't do that. Let me stick with my day because I'm already struggling to get through this right now. But towards the end of that day, I realized how much I actually was praying and striving to get closer to God. And normally, I would always say like, well, I'm always busy. I'm always doing this. I'm always doing that. But really, when, whenever I was hungry, I would just try to pray. And I was hungry a lot. So I was praying a lot throughout the day. And it drove me closer 
to God because of how much time I was spending with them. Just within that one day period, I saw how much time I really could be spending seeking him and praying uh, to him, just laying all my burdens before him. And I know there's probably people in here thinking like, yeah, that's really great. I love when I hear stories about people that fast, they get closer to God, but I just don't think that's me. I just don't think that I can do it. Well, uh, in Matthew 6, 16 through 17, we actually see that Jesus expects us to fast. He says, uh, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Saying, when you fast, as you are expected to fast, don't make it all about you. Don't make it so that everyone's looking at you and uh, you're trying to make people think you're super spiritual. Make sure that you're doing it in private for a specific reason, which is to get closer to God. So when you fast, do it with a spiritual purpose. Because if if you decide to fast without a spiritual habit, you're not going to have a good time. You're going to be irritable, you're going to be upset that you're not eating anything, and it's just not going to be fun. However, done correctly, it is a powerful way to strengthen your relationship with God and become more reliant on his word. But the hardest step is to self-discipline yourself to start. That's often the hardest part of starting anything, is just taking that first step to start. And we can always make excuses. People can come up and say, you know what? Like, uh, I I know that I really want to eat with my family, and I don't want to take that away because dinner is the only time that we can get together. That's fine. There are plenty different options of fasting. I know pastors that have fasted just from one meal every single day or just one meal uh, just one day of the week. There are some people that I know that uh, a pastor that I listened to before said that he writes his sermon on Tuesdays. So every Tuesday he fasts up until dinner when he breaks his fast to eat with his family. So do whatever you want to do that God is calling you to do. Just make it work. Just tell your spouse, just say like, hey, I don't hate your cooking. I'm just fasting during this time. And I'm letting you know beforehand before you make a bunch of stuff. Just do whatever you have to do to make sure it works so that you can start disciplining yourself to get yourself to become closer to God. So that's the first spiritual discipline that we see, which is fasting. The second one pairs very well with this. Uh, It is called silence and solitude. All right, so silence and solitude is the act of withdrawing from the world around you uh, just to listen to God. And some people in here might think, uh, isn't that like prayer? Like, isn't that what I do for prayer? And I would say, yeah, kind of. It, it is very similar. Um, but, but this is more of a time of listening to God. Not, not so much of you talking, which this can be a time of prayer. But what silence and solitude is, is you're supposed to be listening to God. Because I, I know that I'm very guilty of this, and I'm sure other people are in the room, but... When I pray, oftentimes I say, God, I I need your help with this. God, this is going on in my life, and I don't know what to do. God, give me directions of some kind. God, uh, this is going on with my family. I pray that you help them. Some uh, some of my friends uh, have this going on. I pray that you help them. But God, I just pray that you will show me direction in my life. All right, amen, bye. And then we just walk away. 
And if you think about it, that would never work in a normal conversation. If you just went up to someone and you just started asking them questions and then you walked away and then you got mad and be like, man, that person never gives me an answer when I ask them something. But really, you're the one walking away. Ask yourself, do you really give yourself time to be listening to God? Do you make a specific time of where you're just saying, God, I'm open to hearing your word and, and I'm just seeking your direction and I'm giving you this time now? instead of just filling the space with noise. Because that, this is something that a lot of people don't like, because uh, our culture doesn't value silence. We, we love noise in our culture. If you think about it, when you get in the car, first thing you do, turn on the radio. Put it on a podcast you're listening to. Or when you're doing chores around the house, you have the music blasting, you have the TV on, I know there's people that even uh, turn the TV on so that they can scroll through their phone just to have some background music going on. And, and, and we just, we don't like the silence. Oftentimes, uh, I, I know there have been, in, in different areas of life, there's just this like awkward silence. And people in the movie industry know this because they know that silence almost builds suspense. And they use that in movies oftentimes. A lot of times there's a fine art between using intense music and no music at all to make people feel suspenseful. And just leaving silence out in the open for too long, it's just awkward. Like if I just sat here for 20 seconds, people would start looking around like, what's going on? Like is something, is something wrong right now? Just because we're not used to it. We, we like feeling that space. Yet we see Jesus frequently went away to seek silence and solitude. And to be like Jesus, we must discipline ourselves to do the very same. We must discipline ourselves to make that time to just go before God and say, God, I'm open to hearing your words. And this could be a great time to pray, but make sure you leave that time to be listening to his word. After Jesus and the disciples had several days of uh, physical and spiritual outputting, just serving people, uh, notice what Jesus says in Mark 6.31. He says, come to me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So this silence and solitude is also supposed to be renewing us. It's supposed to restore us to keep fighting the good fight and continually uh, sharing the gospel to be going out and sharing his word. And so it, it not only renews you, but it gives you this uninter in, uninterrupted time of prayer. Because I know a lot of people in here have crazy lives. You have kids, and kids can just burst in the door at any moment and just kind of ruin that silence in solitude. Uh, but, but we should be seeking after it. And a way that we would love for you to start, if you are not already doing this, we want to challenge you. Uh, and so what, what, hopefully, if you came through these front doors, you saw a big fishing net. And then when you sat down, you saw these fish in your seats. So what that is, is we are about seven weeks out from Easter. And what we would love to do is for you guys to take that fish and to write down a person's name, just their first name, of someone that needs to know God. Someone that you are going to commit to be praying for them for an entire week 
so that when you ask them to come to the Easter service, they say yes, and then when they come to the Easter service, they will give their life to Christ. And we're not doing this because we want to say we had this many people come to Easter. We're doing this because we're called to be fishers of men. That's what the sign out there when you first walk in uh, below the net, it says fishers of men. And we want to make sure we are intentionally seeking after people and trying to bring them into God's kingdom. And the best way to start that is through prayer. Pastor Chris sent out an email not too long ago that talked about how we would love to have a hundred lost people in here at Easter. And when you think about that, that's a big number. But when you put it in the context of Macon, where Macon has a hundred thousand people, a hundred people is only 0.001% of all of Macon. And so when you think about it, that, that doesn't seem that hard. And, and what we're going to do is uh, each week we would love for you to write a different name down that you will pray for that person all throughout the week. And you can continue praying for the other person, but we want you to be praying for a different person each week. And hopefully each week you will see more and more fish up in that net so that when you walk through you can be reminded to pray for them and also to be praying for everyone else in here. Because we would love to have many people come to know Christ on Easter and have this place filled. And so what you can do is, if you're married, just tag team it up. If you have kids and you feel like you don't have time, just tell your spouse, like, hey, I'm going to go and pray for five to ten minutes. Can you just handle the kids? And then after that, I'll take them so that you can go and uh, pray, get in your silence and solitude. Just do whatever you have to do to start that process. And hopefully, towards the end, this is a great way to jumpstart you into this spiritual discipline where after Easter, you will continue to do this. You will continue to do that silence and solitude and just be listening for God's word after you come before him with questions, with all of your prayers, with all of your burdens. You will then just be listening for what God has to say. Because when you discipline yourself and make time for God, your relationship is going to grow and even become more firmly rooted in his word. Which brings us to our last point, which is going to be scripture intake or reading the Bible. So let's go back to Luke 4. We're going to read the rest of the verses 3 through 12. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will, be, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil 
had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So if you have grown up in the church, I'm sure a lot of you have heard this story before. Um, But one of the biggest spiritual disciplines that we should be practicing is focusing on reading God's word. And it, it almost sounds cliche if you grew up in the church. Just, hey, you need to be reading your Bible. Ever since Sunday school, I remember I heard that growing up. But the reason why we say it so much is because of how important reading the Bible is. We see that Jesus offended off every temptation that Satan threw at him with Scripture. There was no hesitation. Uh, It was just straight temptation, Scripture denial. However, you can't get to the point of where you can quote Scripture at your temptation unless you are around Scripture a lot. Until you're in it daily, that's probably not going to be able to happen. And I know there's people that say, uh, I'm just, I'm not cut out for memorization. I just, I can't remember stuff very well, and hey, I'm right there with you. But, but that can't be an excuse. I know a lot of people that say that, that say, hey, I'm not good at memorizing stuff. Um, they could tell you the entire roster of a football team that they've never played for. And I'm not just calling out sports people. That's everybody. Any, anything that you are very invested into, you start memorizing a lot of, about that because you familiarize yourself with it. You are invested in it. You are around it so much, it becomes second nature. And that's what the Bible needs to be for us. The Bible needs to be second nature to us. And again, I said I'm not very big on uh, memorizing. I'm, I'm not great at it. But I know if I read something over and over and over, I start picking up on it. And even though I might not be able to tell you the exact Uh, book, chapter, and verse, I know that it is scripture, and hey, Google can do that for me, but it is important to know it so that if someone asks you, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but I'm just saying we need to be memorizing scripture and being in it so that we can be able to uh, thwart the temptation by knowing what God's word truly says. And something else I want us to see from those verses is how Satan can use Scripture to tempt you. We saw that he just did that with Jesus, where uh, Jesus was thwarting every temptation with Scripture, so Satan is very crafty. He knows how to uh, tempt people in the best ways. So then, seeing that Jesus was using Scripture, Satan came up and said, hey, this is what Scripture says. And in fact, Scripture did say that, but he was taking it out of context. And you have to know that. There have been a lot of people that have misused Scripture for their own personal gain throughout history. And you just have to make sure you are well aware of what Scripture is actually saying in order for yourself to recognize, hey, this is not what the Bible is truly saying. I remember when I was growing up, um, there there were a lot of misquoted Bible verses and in college, there was even this uh, book that we got that talked about the most misquoted Bible verses uh, that everyone uses. I mean, for example, the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see that a lot. People at the gym that are Christians, not calling anyone out here. If you do have a shirt that says that, that's great. Um, but I can't throw 500 pounds above my head just because I believe in Christ. I'm going to get crushed if I do that, right? 
what, what's going on there is that Paul is saying, I can do all things, pretty much I can suffer all things because Christ is in me. If you look at what that is, is Paul is going through a hard time uh, and he's in jail and he's saying, I can withdraw all of this because I have Christ who gives me strength. Another one that um, I went to this other church and uh, they talked about Revelation 3.16. I think I've talked with some students about this before because of how badly it um, affected several of my friends. Uh, but Revelation 3.16 says, uh, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. And so this is Jesus talking to the church of Laodicea in Revelations. We see that he's talking to multiple churches. This one specifically is Laodicea. And so after someone read this verse, uh, they just came up and they said, hey, you know what? Um, and this, this was at a different church that I grew up in. Uh, but he said, what this verse is saying is God wants you to be on fire for him or just not even be a Christian. Don't be this lukewarm person in between that says you are a Christian, but you don't really act Christian. And I remember a lot of my friends were like, yeah, that, that sounds right. And I was like, that sounds weird. I don't agree with that. I don't really understand that. But okay, whatever. I was, I was really young at the time. But a lot of my friends said, you know what? I'm just not even going to follow God because I'd rather be cold than lukewarm. I, I know there's enough time in my life where I can go up and I can, uh, I, I can eventually get to that hot where I'm going to be living for Christ. But right now, I'm going to just do what I want to. And I'm going to be cold. Whereas if you actually look at what this passage is saying, it, it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. If you look at the context of Laodicea, which uh, that verse alone could be an entire sermon, but I'm going to try to wrap it up real quick for you. Laodicea was a very rich city. It, it was a city that could afford to build itself three times over if an earthquake happened. But what they didn't have was a hot spring or a cold spring, which was very vital in those days. And so what they did with all of their money, they built these really far aqueducts to different cities, to a different city that had a hot spring, to a different city that had a cold spring. And what happened was they thought, hey, if we can get all this water, we could have a hot and cold spring. But what happened was, after many miles of this water traveling, this hot spring and this cold spring were lukewarm when it got to them. And what we see in the Bible is that a hot spring was used for healing. It was used to heal the body. For, for muscle aches, you got in a hot spring, relax your body. And for cold springs, it would refresh you. And so what this Bible verse was saying was you need to be refreshing to the body or you need to be healing to the body of Christ and not just nothing. And it, it was kind of a jab uh, that John was using at this church or that God was using at this church saying, you guys are lukewarm. You think that you are this or that, but really you're not doing anything. And so that was just one example of how people can take things out of context. And it might not even be Satan that was doing it, but someone that was just passionate about the Bible, but just didn't know the context that it was written in. But we should be able to see Scripture. And when we hear that, we should be able to know what God's Word is actually saying. I love the example of how bank tellers can know uh, a fake bank note by just feeling it. 
because they handle money so much, they know what's real and what's not. And it needs to be the same for us. When we read the Bible and when we hear other people reading the Bible, you, you should be listening out. You shouldn't think everything I say is infallible. I, I wish I could tell you everything I say is going to be true, but the reality is I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes. And if I ever do make a mistake, I will gladly say, hey, I made a mistake. This is what the Bible was actually saying. But, but that needs to be on y'all as well. We all need to be accountable for reading the Bible, to making sure that what is being preached is what is true. And that's the only way that we can get to that point is by disciplining ourselves to be in the Word every single day. And so just to recap, these three disciplines, discipline yourself to fast, even when you're hungry so that you can focus on God more and grow closer to Him throughout the day. Discipline yourself to make time for silence and solitude so you can have uninterrupted prayer and just be in the presence of God to be listening for Him. And finally, discipline yourself to get into the Word daily so that you can know your Savior's Word and what He has done for you. And I hope all of us can just take these challenges, to take these and put it into our lives. And I know three might seem overwhelming. Just focus on one. Focus on that prayer of just who, focus on who does God want you to be praying for throughout the week. We would love to help you in any way that we can. But just start focusing on one spiritual discipline. And then once that's down, add another. Until you eventually are amazed by all the things that you are doing. You oftentimes won't feel amazed because you, see, you won't see that small, slow progress. But it'll happen. Just like how David Goggins didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm running 12 miles every single day. He had to slowly build his way up to that point. And I think all of us in here would benefit if we start spiritual disciplines. And there are multiple out there. You don't have to specifically choose from these three. But I want all of us to be encouraged uh, and just, I, I want to challenge you to be starting a spiritual discipline. And maybe, maybe you just want a little extra help on how to do that. I'm going to be down here at the front after I pray. We're going to be singing a song. But if you want to talk about that, if you don't know who Christ is, who Jesus is, and you want to take that step to know who he is and just want some more information, I'll be down here as well. And we'll love to talk to you. But let's go ahead to prayer. God, we just thank you for today, and we thank you for the stay that you've given us. And I know that there are many times where I've said that I was going to start a spiritual discipline and I ended up not even starting, but God, I pray that you would just burden our hearts until we start, until we are intentionally seeking after you. I pray that you would just give us uh, this burden that we need to get closer to you. God, we thank you that you've just given us this place that we are surrounded by other believers that want to grow as well. I pray that we will find people in here to keep us accountable, that we can just gather together and just grow closer to you as a body of Christ. And for those in here who might not know where to start or might not even know you, I pray that they will have the boldness to find someone and ask them how they can begin that journey. God, we thank you and we love you so much. In your name we pray, amen.